got your Bibles, go to the book of <clears throat> Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 verse 28. We'll start at verse 28 of Matthew chapter 21. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. We praise you for being God and being here with us, God, and for desiring to dwell within us, God. Please help us to trust you, to truly turn our whole hearts towards you, to yield to us, to yield to you, God. Help us to truly be transformed and made to be like you, to hear you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're picking up at Matthew chapter 21. And before I do, let's, let's do it this way. <clears throat> we're talking about, uh, we're starting to transition into the remedy for sin. We've been talking about sin and bouncing around and playing with it a little bit. Now we're going to talk about the remedy for sin and what it is that God has done to us or for us to cure us from sin and, and the true heart of the gospel and what does it mean truly to be saved. But as we go into that, I'm going to start with a question. And the question is, when you think about the gospel and salvation, what would you think would, should be our primary response? If we call in people to believe in Jesus, to get saved, whatever, invite him into our heart, whatever phrase we use, what do you think should be our primary response? Look at, what do you, you think? You in the front. I ain't picked on you in a while. What, what should be our, our primary call that we're calling the people to? To knowing, to knowing God. What else we got? What you say? To freedom. So they need to be free. You need to know God. You need to, give me one air. <laughs> you need to get your heart clean. All right, somebody else give me one. Call them to the blood. So you need to get the blood. Go ahead. What you got? Huh? Holiness, holy water. So we got all these things, man. All right, I'll throw a couple more out there. Normal response I always hear. How I many of you say we need to get them primarily to believe? Like having faith, is that's the main thing. You need to believe in Jesus. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's pretty big on now. Uh, let me see another one out here quite often. No, nah, because that'll make me start picking on people. We'll, see. we'll stay with that one. So believe in Jesus. And what if I would tell you that there's some things that we often leave out that is principal to our believing on Jesus. Some people call it works and they don't preach it too often nowadays, but it's principal to our believing on Jesus in the gospel. And that one little thing would be repent. That our primary call when we're calling people to the gospel is to repent. And that's what we're going to wrestle with a little bit. Let's read this parable in Luke. And see, try to show you why I say what I say. Starting the parable. It said, but what thank ye? A certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I would not. But afterward, he repented and went. He came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. 
For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when you heard it, when, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. Uh, this is Jesus preaching a parable. And he's stabbing at the Pharisees and the religious leaders. But I like this parable because it shows two poles or two pictures. And the one is giving an example of the father and his sons and he told them to go work. One said, no, flat out. I'm not going to work. Then he said he repented and afterward went. The other one said, yeah, daddy, I'm going to do it. And never did anything. And the way Jesus surmised it was, is that the harlots, the publicans, all the folks you say are sinners. He said, they're going to enter the kingdom of God before you because when John came preaching righteousness, they believed him. And that's the point where we want to start at. Because a lot of people got in their mind when you get deep in theology is that there's a separation between repentance and faith or repentance and believing. That if you call people to repent, you're putting some before faith. But in the mind of Jesus, they one and the same. Because he said the publicans and sinners believed him when he came preaching righteousness. But y'all did not believe. And when you saw him, you didn't repent. And so he used these words interchangeably. So in the mind of Jesus, for them to repent was for them to believe the preaching of John. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So true faith begins with repentance. You cannot say you believe in Jesus if you do not repent. Like I said, the story I always stick in my mind is old preacher I like to listen to. He's talking about he was traveling. And the young lady came up to him. He's talking about how she'd been to every evangelist that come to town. She'd been from church to church to church. And just can't nobody seem to help her. And she told him after his sermons, like, I don't like you. And he was like, okay, like, what I do? And he said, you made me want to be a Christian again. He's like, that's a good thing. It's like, but I don't want to be a Christian because I tried and can't nobody help me. I've been going everywhere. Nobody can help me. And so he dug in and got to ask him some questions. And he got to, who do you live with? And she was like, me and my boyfriend, we've been together for a while. And of course, why, why are you asking me that? It's like, if you really want to be free, leave him. And she got even more mad. It's like, ain't nobody else ever tell me that. And his response, I like it. He's like, well, you told me could nobody else help you. <laughs> but she heard all these messages and she'd been to all these evangelistic meetings and she tried to put her faith in Jesus. She responded to altar calls. She raised her hand, sat in the chair, whatever the traditions is, but she was still stuck because never did she repent. Repentance and faith is one and the same thing. And if we just put together everything we've been talking about, about the nature of human beings and our sinful and our wickedness, you can start to see the picture. Because one of the, the problems we have as human beings is we understand the corruption that's inside of us. It thwarts our minds to, from being God-centered to being self-centered. We serve ourselves over and over again. When we're looking at all these different scriptures about the wickedness of human beings, the one thing that kept coming up is you lived according to your own lust. These people did according to the desires of their own heart. There's a way that seemed right to man, but the end thereof is destruction. And it paints the picture of men and us as human beings that our heart dictates how we live. And we seek to please ourselves and we seek to serve ourselves. But Christ came and he said, if you want to follow me, the first thing you got to do is deny yourself. 
That's a picture of repentance. You cannot place your faith in Jesus serving yourself. Primarily, you must turn. So if you're turning, you're turning away from self-service to God's service. That we live according to the dictates of this world. That's what we do. We trust this world. We trust the systems of it. It gave us our understanding of how we're supposed to live. But if we repent, if we turn, that means we turn from trusting ourselves, trusting this world, to trusting God. That's putting faith in Jesus. And that is primary to the gospel. Now just take a little trek with me. Let's drive this point on home. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're just going to roll with this just a little bit. All right. The same time. We're going to start at verse 24 in Acts chapter 17. And where we're at right here in Acts chapter 17, this is Paul giving a sermon to some people who was worshiping this thing. He saw an altar to the unknown God. And they brought him up on this place called Mars Hill. And he laying it down, giving his apologetic sermon straight on the street, street preaching, just like he airing out there, telling him, me believe, bro. <laughs> <laughs> starting in verse 24 it said God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worship with men's hands as though he need anything seeing he giveth life to all and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said. For we also are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commanded all men everywhere to repent because he have appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he have ordained. Whereof he had also given assurance unto all men and that he have raised him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, they started to mock and laugh at him. But certain of them listened to him. But this is the picture. I want you to see it and wrap it in. This is Paul's gospel to these people who don't know nothing about God. He, he talked to them about creation. And the fact that God give us all us life. And he pulled one of my punches. There ain't no such thing as racist. God made of all men one blood of all nations to dwell upon the face of the earth. And this same God that made all men of one blood is calling. Verse 30. You know what he's saying? Said this time of ignorance, God winked at it. What he's saying? There was a time where people didn't know God. There was a time where the mercy of God was extended to a great extent. Y'all worship all these false gods. Y'all worship all these idols. He said God winked at it. I mean, God ain't judged y'all the way he was supposed to. He said, but he's now calling all men everywhere to repent. This is the foundation of the call of God. God had mercy. He didn't punish you the way that he was going to punish you. But right now he's calling all men everywhere to repent. Not to say a prayer. Not to repeat after a preacher. Not to, to come and get a religious experience, but to repent. If you have not repented, you have not responded to the call of God. Go to Matthew chapter 3. So we're going to bounce around. Just drive this point on home. 
Matthew chapter 3. Let's start at verse 1. It says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is that which was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now this is John. John stepping on the scene, giving an introduction to Jesus. Paul just told us, God right now is requiring all men everywhere to repent. When John stepped on the scene, he didn't say, people get excited. Let's celebrate. The blessings of the Lord is here. The manifestation of the fruition of everything that God has promised is being revealed to us. Jesus and came, y'all. This is our day. He's saying, Everybody everywhere, repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the gospel that was preached. Go over to Matthew chapter 4. Just flip the page. Y'all got them electronic Bibles. You can't mash a button. (laughs) Start at verse 12. Said now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, and the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who had sat in darkness saw the great light, and to them what sat in the region in the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say what? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So once, G, once John got locked up, Jesus bust onto the scene. Soon as he left the wilderness, by the spirit, and defeated the devil, and he started his public ministry. And he opened up his first sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now y'all starting to see the theme, right? That this is primary to the gospel. Paul, talking to some folks who didn't know nothing about God. And he's telling you that God now, he forgave y'all. He overlooked your ignorance. But now he want everybody to repent. John, as soon as he stepped on the scene, he didn't preach, the Messiah is here, the Messiah is here. No, he repeats, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus picked up right where John left off. Now, does Jesus call people to believe in him? Yes, but that wasn't his primary message. Does he call everybody to praise God and to worship him? Yes. But that wasn't his primary message. Blessings and breakthroughs and the fruition and the manifestation, all that stuff. He ain't preached none of that. He stepped on the scene commanding people to repent. This is the gospel. Just look at a couple more. I'll just drive this home because people lost this. Luke chapter 13. Let's look at Jesus again. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, this is folks came to Jesus with the word of the day. They had just got off Facebook and, um, <laughs> and they saw what was going on in the world. So they came and told Jesus about it. Like, man, you know, there some dudes that were bringing a sacrifice. And Pilate killed them dudes and mixed their own blood with their sacrifice. And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 2. And Jesus answering and said unto them, 
Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Are those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them? Think you that they were sinners above all the men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Now Jesus wasn't fun to have no casual conversation with. They just come telling him the news. And Jesus get all serious. But look at the message that he's preaching. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. This is the call. He ain't try to explain what went on. He ain't try to justify why Pilate did what he did. And more than that, he added on to it. Like there's some dudes who the tower fell on them. Y'all thought they were real sinners once. But except you repent, you're going to likewise perish. So the primary thing you need to do so that you don't perish is to repent. We need to get this and understand this. That when we're calling people to believe that we in ourselves, when we evaluate ourselves and we see something in us that ain't quite like Jesus, we need to repent, turn from our wicked ways and put our full hope in God. Even when we see foolishness that go on on the planet, we need to evaluate ourselves and understand that except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Like I, when, when, when the Twin Towers happened, everybody everywhere, they're trying to explain how God did it or how God didn't do it. When Katrina happened, he had the same thing. Everybody tried to explain. You know, they got all that gambling, all that Mardi Gras, all that stuff down there. And we try to explain why what's going on. If we take cue from Jesus, we can kill the conversation. So next time a flood or tornado happen, and you be like, man, do you know unless you repent, you're going to die the same way. That's what Jesus said. Now people going to call you a holy roller. You might get kicked out the office or written up in something like that. <laughs> but that's how Jesus responds. But that's the picture we need to understand. That there's no connection with God. There's no eternal life. There's no hope. There's no faith without repentance. Repentance is primary to the gospel. We get that. That no matter what the preacher tell you, if he don't tell you you need to repent, he ain't preaching to you the gospel. He's sending you on your way to perdition. You can repeat as many sermons, I mean, repeat out as many preachers as you want to. Raise your hand, sign that card, get dumped in that pool as many times as you want to. Unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. This is the heart of the gospel. And we cannot see the full remedy for sin unless we turn from it. Are y'all with me? Do we need to look at some more? Can we move on? Y'all said one more? (laughs) Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Start at verse 10. It's Jesus. Sending out his disciples. It says, and he said unto them, Mark chapter 6, verse 10, And what place soever you enter into an house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when you depart then, shake off the dust from under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and, repre- and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. This is what the disciples did at the instruction of Jesus. So he sent them out. Y'all go out. 
preached the gospel. And he told him as a pattern of what he was doing. Then he gave him a sign of judgment. Like wherever you go and they don't hear you, shake the dust off your feet. That's a testimony against them that you're getting rid of that city. He said it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for other cities in the day of judgment. Then so watch what they did. In verse 12, he said, and they went out and preached in every city that men should what? Repent. This is the message that Jesus sent his disciples out preaching. And this is the message that we need to recover in our day and our age. Because somehow people have distorted love into an acceptance of evil. That's not love. And we have so many forms of Christianity nowadays in our culture. And we have so many things that's being propagated as being acceptable. Like the little church down on Atlanta Highway, the little Unitarian church. They got signs and they be talking and they be working. And one of my coworkers came to me and told me he thought about going to that church. And I had to plainly tell him, you better not step foot up in that church. Now, do we believe in Jesus? Nope. And should I have encouraged him? Yes, you need to go to church. And it, no. Because they have signs over and over again telling you everybody, everything is acceptable. The only thing we understand here is love. What they mean by that? You see what they mean because they put little rainbow flags out in front of the church. And they got these little catchphrases that these certain type of people are acceptable here. And you just need to come and be who you are. That's not the call to the gospel. The call of the gospel is you need to repent. You need to turn from your evil ways. And we cannot allow people to think that just because we love them and we embrace you, we accept you, that don't mean everything you do is okay. We love you. We ain't going to turn nobody around. And we ain't going to bash anybody. But we're not going to allow anybody to stay in their foolishness. You need to repent. It's good that you said you repeated after the preacher. That's fine. But that doesn't save you. Because you end up just like the second son in that parable. What did the second son say? Yeah, daddy. I'm going to do it. And he ain't do nothing he said. And that's the gospel that we have. As long as we raising our hand and repeating after that preacher, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in the Lord. And you're still doing the same thing that you always been doing. There's no change in your life. At best, I'm saying you're working on cussing. And you make these substitute cuss words so you ain't as bad as everybody. You darn it. <laughs> that don't mean you saved. <laughs> now y'all understanding what I'm saying? To say yes, to repeat after the preacher, to do all that good stuff that gives signs to people that you are a Christian and you are a believer. That don't mean a thing. And then we, we got this social gospel out here. Now, nah, brothers, deep. They woke. And they out here, they fighting for black power and black rights and criminal justice and all that type of stuff. They're cool. But it's something I noticed about a lot of them people. They carry the banner of Christ for justice. They carry the banner of Christ that we love people and we're trying to reach everybody. But when you watch their lives, there's no separation between the lives that they have and the lives of the people they're trying to reach. They're the same folk. Only difference is, before we eat, we pray. We enjoy and delight in the same activities. We interact the same way. Our lives are just, it, it don't look any different. 
And the reason it is is because they didn't turn to God. They turned to a system of justice. They turned to an idea, an ideology that gives them some level of righteousness. So they judge their level of righteousness by the amount of activities that they get involved in. I know I'm saved because I feed the poor. I know I'm saved because I'm out here in the hood. I'm saying I'm showing love to people. I invite them in my home. That don't mean you saved. That just means you nice. That's all that means. Because I, I love example, Adolf Hitler. He built whole neighborhoods for people. Almost a whole city for his family. That was very nice. I ain't seen none of them do that. Pablo Escobar, the big drug dealer down there in Mexico. He bought out whole apartment buildings and was letting people live rent free. That brother's a good dude. Now, at the same time, he was shooting up folks and murdering people and, and chopping heads off and burying bodies and, and, and bribing the whole government. He was doing all that, selling a whole lot of dope. Got a lot of people strung out. But if we take their level of righteousness and we just look at his social activities, your brother was standing up for Mexico. He was trying to get them independence from the USA. He had his own personal reasons why he was trying to do that stuff because he didn't want the federal government coming down there and lock him down. But the brother was doing good. The brother was evil though. But he did good works. Like I said, bought out whole apartment complexes. Nobody paid rent. Living it up. Now he had his thugs out there and people couldn't walk out at a certain time and people were scared <laughs> to come outside because if they saw anything, they were scared that they might get slaughtered just for being a witness to something. But he had good deeds. Our good deeds don't save us. And we understand that. We say we believe in Jesus. It ain't about how good we are. But believing in Jesus is repenting. Are y'all with me? Because we're commanded to repent. Go to Romans chapter 2. I guess we can move on. And try to get an understanding of what real repentance is. There's a lot of confusion. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We'll start at verse 1. And what we're going to transition into is just starting to look at some of the compulsions that God throw out there to, to try to draw us into repentance. But watch it. It's going to be far and wide. Therefore, thou art excusable, inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And it's the picture that Paul is painting. What he's pointing at is the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. He just ran his long list in Romans 1 about the reprobate mind and the people who committed all these acts, who, who rejected God and rejected the knowledge of God. And all the vile stuff that came from them. And in his transitioning, he pointed to the Jews. It's like, now y'all people, y'all judge these people. Y'all think that y'all going to get off? And the idea that they had is that God is going to punish these people. He's going to take over the world and we're going to be elevated because we're children of Abraham. It's like, no, you are inexcusable, old man, who judges. And the thing that he pointed out is that because while you're judging them, you're doing the same things. So you saying they bad, they evil, they're wicked. 
We're not because we're children of Abraham, but your life match up with theirs. Say, no, you inexcusable. Then he turns and he said, do you despise the goodness and the forbearance and the long suffering of God? The idea is that they see and we see it sometimes that you got these wicked people who are seen to be prospering. That God ain't just raining down lightning on them because the Jews was in a position where they was waiting on the true Messiah to come and he was supposed to destroy Rome and elevate them to the status of being the delight of the world. So they were waiting on the Roman Empire to be destroyed. And it creates some angst within their heart. Like I said, for us, we ain't got no empire we're waiting to be destroyed. But sometimes you see the little dope boy and he ain't working. He ain't doing nothing. He got a whole lot of stuff better than what you got. He a car better than yours. He got more money. You know what I'm saying? You see him at a gas station. He pull out that big old knot of warm and fire. Ain't about $200. But the thing about this big. And, and, it, and it creates some angst in your heart. You be like, God, what's going on with me? I'm, I'm loving you. I'm serving you. And the picture is, he said, don't you despise the goodness and forbearance of God. So what he's saying is sometimes God extend mercy to people. Sometimes God pour out goodness on people to give them an opportunity to repent. So the blessings that people receive is a just a little shower of goodness. It's like, hey, come on home. And what one thing I really want to drive at is that we need to undo the messed up mindset that we have in our culture because we equate good beneficiary life, a life of health and wealth to God's pleasure. The Bible don't teach that. That just because I ain't sick in my mind, or just because my, my pockets ain't hurting too bad, and my hot water heat ain't fell out and things ain't going good, that don't mean God good with me. All that is is a testimony that God himself is good, not that he's pleased with you. And that's what Paul is pointing at. Like, don't despise it. Don't think that God, just because God treating these people good, that he neglecting you or that he somehow favored a lifestyle that they live in. No. The goodness of God is there to lead men to repentance. That's what it's there for. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And even as we evaluate our own hearts, don't allow our conditions to dictate to us whether or not we're in a place where we're good with God. It's like, you know what I'm saying? I got a good job. And I ain't really got too many problems going on. Everything good. I'm in good health. I guess I'm saying, yeah, God pleased with me. I'm living the way I'm supposed to be living. That don't mean that. All that means is that God good, not you. And I understand what I'm saying. So God's pleasure, God's goodness is one of the things he gives us to compel us to repent. Go to Revelation. Revelations chapter 3. Revelations 3, I think it's verse 14. Is one of the letters that Christ sent through John to the seven churches. It says, unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right, these things said the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched 
and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye slab that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and I will sup with him and he with me. And to him that overcome, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his house. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit said to the churches. I like this in contrast because this church of the Laodiceans, see the picture that he painted. Y'all are increased with goods. Oh, there was a wealthy, good church on the outside. Everything was going good. I'm saying they had big buildings, probably had nice decoration. Good church. And what he's saying is, y'all ain't good at all. You are not hot. You're not cold. You, you just horrible. And I'm at the point where I'm ready to spit you out my mouth. And so the picture I want you to get out of this is that they were in socially good conditions. They were blessed. But the response of God to these people, y'all need to repent. And, and he asked a little extra in there. Said, those who I love are chasing. Therefore now repent. So God give us goodness to lead us to repentance. But this goodness don't mean we okay. But he also get throw this thing and who he chasing. He disciplined. He corrects them. And that's what part of the thing that God gives us to lead us to repentance. So let's help us understand this. You hear the response, the call of God. And it eats your heart up on the inside. You get the feeling bad. You get the word from the Lord. Or you get the call from Brother Jake. Just out of the blue. And he, he get to ask you all type of questions. And he, he, he turning to Jamel. Not Jake. Jamel. That little joke that they get on everybody's nerves. <laughs> he turned to him on. You get to ask you all these questions. Ask you why you do this and do that. And you got to justify every little thing to him. Then you get to thinking, man, you ain't my dad. <laughs> I got to explain myself to you. <laughs> I don't need you asking me all these questions. But you, that's what you say in your heart. But you're nice and you're Christian. Like, all right, Jay, I got to go. <laughs> but understand. That God take things like that and uses things like that to pull you and to call you towards repentance and to help you a little bit. When you get those moments inside of your heart, when you're feeling down and you're feeling condemned and in, in, in the world and told you that your life is messed up and you ain't no good and you ain't fit to call yourself a Christian. You don't, you don't even go to church, don't even read your Bible, don't even let Hallelujah FM play in your radio because you ain't saved. Your mind get to telling you all that stuff. And you get down and you get to feeling depressed and you want to give up on life. Take it as chastening from the Lord. And your response should be to do what? Repent. That's it. And that looks like you ain't no good. Don't nobody love you. Don't nobody care about you. You a heathen. Look at them thoughts in your heart. And start wrestling with that. Yeah, you're right. You can say, yeah, you're right. God, please forgive me. Purge me. Change me. Because I hate this. I don't want to do it anymore. And everything in me don't want to be this. You understand what I'm saying? That's how you turn and you overcome those things. 
You don't wrestle with them and sit there and try to explain yourself to make sure you that you are right. No, you're not. And you don't sit there and soak in it. If it's true, it don't matter. Because the fact that it's true leads you to one thing. You need to repent. That's all. You turn to God because the chastising of the Lord ain't there to depress you. It ain't there to put you down in the dumps and it ain't there to run you away from him. It's there to cause you to turn to him. So when you get those thoughts of condemnation, I'm not fit. God, on the why you gave me these kids and, and, and it's just too much for me. Yeah, you ain't fit and you can't raise them children. Turn to God. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? You ain't no good. Okay, yes, you are no good. Turn to God. He good. Don't nobody love you. Well, God is love. Turn to him. He love you. (laughs) Whatever it is, the response should be to turn. We'll sit there and and try to go. I don't need Jay to counsel me for 400 hours and try to convince me that I am what something other than what these thoughts telling me. It don't matter if I am or if I ain't. The only thing that matters is Turn. Turn to God. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So we got God showing us goodness and that leads us to repentance. Sometimes God scolds us and he chastises us. All we do is turn. Go to back in Revelation chapter 9. Watch this. Now this is, this get a little, little deep. We'll start at verse 19 just for time. Said for their power, he's talking about these beasts he saw coming up. It's time of the tribulation. Things real bad right now. Talking about their power. Said their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads. And with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues, yet repenting out of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silvers and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor walk, nor, nor hear nor walk, Neither repented there of their murders, of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. So the picture he painted is this is a time where it's going to get real bad on the planet. And all this badness is going to be from the hand of God. God pouring out his wrath upon the earth. He's talking about a plague that's going to come. And he said that plague is going to kill one third of the mankind that's on the planet. That's a whole lot of people. And he's talking about these beasts that are going to come. He said the beasts got the power to hurt men. So they're going to be around here plaguing and, 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 and hurting and destroying men. And they're going to get so bad. But notice God's deal. He said, neither did they repent. So you got folks dying. Got plagues coming. And at one point, it said the pain of it was going to be so bad that men are going to be crying for the mountains to fall on them. Because they're going to be better. They're going to feel better the dead than they do alive. But the one thing that we see is that in the stubbornness of their heart, with all these afflictions, they would not repent. And I think God brought that up for twofold purposes. One is to show you the stubbornness of man's heart. Now, we think that, you know what I'm saying, if people get more revelation, if people have more kindness, if, if all these other different things happen, then people will believe. What he's saying, people are evil. And God going to start just making supernatural things happen and destroying people right on the place of the planet. He said they still ain't going to repent. But also it shows me that God sometimes afflict for the purpose of drawing people to repentance. That he afflict people and he bring hurt and he bring pain and he bring punishment for the purpose of drawing people to repentance. We see it through the nation of Israel. When they was rebellion all them years, 
Folks came in, took over their land, took them captives. And it wouldn't be right until they repented. Then God bring them back to the land. Everything was good until they did it again. But it shows you that God uses afflictions to draw us to repentance. So God uses goodness. Sometimes God chastises us, bring them to heaviness and condemnation and rebuke. And sometimes he hurt us to bring us to repentance. And the last one going to lead me into another point. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 7, I won't. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It said now, in verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, and that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Before behold, this self-same thing, that you sorrow after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, with clearing of yourselves, yea, with indignation, yea, with fear, with vehement desire, yea, with zeal, with revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. This is Paul. So Paul wrote to these people, and he was heavy on them. So he gave one of them Jay phone call. And it was hard. I'm saying, you had you mad. Like, Shoot, man, I ain't going back to church no more. <laughs> I ain't got time, man. Jay, you don't know me. <laughs> Try to tell me I ain't saved. I am. <laughs> Y'all don't know how many times I had the conversations. I told you I had to apologize for Jay. Shoot, man. Chuck <laughs> don't tell me I ain't no Christian. <laughs> He's like, man, man, they say that, man. He just asked you a question. Shoot, I know what he meant. <laughs> so Paul had one of them type conversations. The folk were mad. And he 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 pointed out some things. He said, I'm happy. Not that you made mad, but that you had a godly sorrow. And this godly sorrow led you to repentance. But just understand this. And just help us understand repentance. And we're going to get into it. They were sorry. They had some pain. They felt bad. And that sorrow led them to repentance. So that gives us an understanding of what true repentance is. Because it's in our mind, when you ask people, you're out on the street and you ask them, what does it mean to repent? Their automatic response, nine out of ten times, going to be to say you're sorry, to ask for forgiveness. That's what people think repentance is. But what Paul was telling these people, you were sorry and you had godly sorrow and that sorrow led you to repentance. So since that sorrow produced repentance, that means that sorrow itself wasn't repentance. And he gave you two times, two types of sorrow. He said there was a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. The worldly sorrow leads to shame and damnation, but the godly sorrow leads you to repentance. But the point I want to point out is the sorrow itself is not repentance. The sorrow is just that. You feel bad. That's all that means. And the reason, like I said, I have to point this out is because this is common in our culture. People think, you ask them, what does it mean to repent? To ask for forgiveness. That's the basic definition you get. To ask for forgiveness means to say I'm sorry. Being sorry is not repenting. Being sorry is just that. Being sorry. But that sorrow should lead you to repentance. And it also point out another common thing, that there's this, this group of Christians who tell you, 
Because we, when you, once you say, you always say, and you know that you truly say by the way that you repent and, 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 the, and the angst that you have in your heart because of your sin. Since you grieve over your sin, that's a testimony to you that you say. That's a lie. You grieve over your sin, that's a testimony to you that you feel bad about your sin. That's all that means. And unless that grief leads to repentance, it don't mean nothing. I'll give you a picture. Judas, after he betrayed Christ, once the, the, the thing all worked out, he felt bad to the point where he took the money and throwed it back in the temple. His brother was sorry. And he went and begged and he pleaded. And the brother was broken. And to the end of the gospel let us know that he ended his life. He hung himself. That's how bad he felt. Now his sorrow did not save him. His sorrow only made him commit suicide. That's the only thing that happened. But did he have sorrow about what he did? Yes. He felt bad. And actually he went farther than a lot of us Christians go. Like we feel sorry, just feel sorry. This brother went, he tried to undo it. Like, man, I don't want the money. Y'all all wrong. That was a righteous man. He tried to make good. But that sorrow only led him to death. And we need to understand this, that feeling bad is not repentance. Like we talked about Saul a couple weeks ago. When Samuel came to him and called him out for his sin, he felt bad. Like, yeah, man, I messed up. After he got done justifying himself all that time. But did that sorrow, was that repentance? No. Because immediately he just, hey, walk with me for the people's sake so I can look good. So his sorrow only led to self-justification. He didn't want to be outed. Sorrow is not repentance. Sorrow could lead you to repentance. But in and of itself, don't think you did something like, man, I know I'm saved, bro. I used to cuss and ain't feel nothing. No, the other day I felt a cuss word, man. I felt so bad, man. I felt so bad. Eh? <laughs> that don't mean nothing. So you got a little more conscious now. That's all that means. Man, the little self-checkout at Walmart, man, that joke. I put a five in there. It spit out $17, bro. Man, I, I took it as a blessing from the Lord, but when I got home, man, I felt bad, man. I felt so bad. You ain't take that money. <laughs> you count the money, bro. Man, God, I know God working with me, man. I feel so bad. No, you, and that's, that's, that's the best a lot of people do. We feel bad. But understand it. Feeling bad is not repenting. Just because God do you good, that don't mean you saved. Are y'all with me? And just because you repeat after that preacher, that don't mean nothing. Unless you begin with repentance. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So let's, get, let, let, let's dig a little bit. Try to get a little more understanding of what this repentance is. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. With John the Baptist preaching. We'll start at the end. So if we read the first part. In verse 7. Said, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bring forth their fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to raise up these stones, children unto Abraham. Now this is, we keep going, he's sure enough to get the preaching in there. But verse 8 is the one we want to turn to. Because it said, bring forth fruits, therefore, that are meat to repentance. And basically what that means, you do some things that are equivalent to true repentance. This is the picture that he's painting. Because we just said it. Being sorry don't mean you repent. Repeating after the preacher, saying, yes, Lord, I will. That does not mean you repent. So what John preaching is, do something that's equivalent to the repentance that you claim you did. It's just like the, the example I gave you from the young lady. She said she wanted to be saved. She said she wanted to follow Jesus. But she refused to give up the relationship that she, Jesus wasn't pleased with. So she can repeat after all the preachers she want to. And she can claim to have repented. But she ain't did nothing to show that she repented. And that's what John is talking about. Bring forth fruits, therefore meat to repentance. That when you repent, there should be something concrete that you can point to that shows a turn. Just saying I'm sorry don't mean nothing. Just saying, I ain't going to do it no more. You said that before. It's like where I work. The young men, when they, <clears throat> when I talk to them sometime, you ask them, man, what you going to do when you get out here? First thing they say, I ain't come back jail. Now, they recognize the futility of that state because they immediately follow that up. See, I know I said that last time, but... <laughs> And what the, the, the picture I like to point out is you saying it don't mean nothing. And you just saying I'm sorry a lot of times does not mean anything. You saying Lord forgive me for such and such don't mean anything. There needs to be an altering that takes place inside of you that demonstrates that this ain't who you are anymore. That there should be something you can point to as pinpointing to show that I truly repented. And there have been times when some of you, I probably talk to you. Well, you're like, yeah, well, like, okay, you did this, that's cool. Uh, where, where you at with God? Like, yeah, I made it right. I said, I'm saying, repent, I got straight. Prove it. And that's a strange statement coming from a preacher who told you all you got to do is believe. Like, prove it. And what do I mean by prove it? Is if the things that led you to what you were doing in your life, None of it changed. You ain't did nothing. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? If you follow this pattern of life and it keeps you into this same pattern and all you did in this is said, I'm sorry, I ain't going to do it no more. But your pattern of life has not altered any way, any form or fashion. You ain't changed. Because just like you can preserve yourself before, you're going to end up in the same spot again. Prove it. Because repentance ain't just saying I'm sorry. It ain't just feeling bad. It's turning. It's an altering of your mind primarily. Are y'all with me? So if Aaron come to me, and he did this, just using him as an example, and be like, bro, man, I was trying to witness to the girl, man. You know, she said she wanted to come to the house for Bible study. 
it went a little bad, bro. <laughs> I messed up. I'm like, all right, man. So what you gonna do, man? You you straight? Like, yeah, man. I've been praying all night, man. Man, I felt so bad, man. I can't I can't do that no more, man. All right, that's cool. So uh, what you gonna do, man? You just don't know how much I've been praying, man. Uh, ain't did nothing. If you still talking to the girl. They still going out for lunch. He still called himself. No, I'm saying we just going to start doing Bible study at Starbucks. Nah, <laughs> I just can't have it. No, man, you need to cut that off. And unless you're willing to cut that off, you ain't willing to change. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Because we, we can see it in regular relationships. If, if a husband get caught cheap and he come, baby, I'm sorry, baby, I'm so, so, so sorry. And the woman be like, well, you need to delete her number out your phone and do this and that and that. If he say, well, you know, uh, you know, I got business, you know what I'm saying? And I, I just, we'll be saying, y'all, sister girl, y'all had to talk. Girl, he ain't sorry. He just, he just saying that little stuff. He trying to get back in the house. He want, he want to give you the password to his phone. He don't mean none of that stuff. You need it. Y'all get that then. And your counsel would be that this brother ain't truly sorry. He has not repented. Because he ain't willing to alter the behavior that led him to the point that he was in. We understand that when we talk about that like that. But then when we turn to God, God's supposed to let us keep the passcode to our phones and keep all our contacts in there. And he's supposed to be cool with that and just trust you. Now we want to invite our sister girl to do that, but we expect God to do that. Nothing about our lives got to change. You just keep on doing the same thing you've been doing. And God just know he know your heart. Yes, he does know. He know that it's evil. And you can't do none of that stuff you said. Because you've been lying since you've been talking. <laughs> so you need to turn to him and give it all over to him. And whatever that means, you need to be willing to do it. If it means Aaron got to get a flip phone and be walking around here with a beeper. <laughs> that's what it means. You know what I'm saying? If that's what it takes... For him to truly turn from whatever that is, he should be willing to do that. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Alright, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. It says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, Come now, let us reason together, said the Lord. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a heavy scripture here. And this is Isaiah's initial call to the people. Some look at it as a summation of his messages to the people. But notice the call. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil doings from your eyes. And the, and the picture that God is painting is you need to turn from the evil. Get rid of it. Separate yourself from it. Purge yourself of all the evil. But then he goes on into verse 17 and start telling them what to do. So this call of God to come to him, to have themselves cleansed and all that stuff goes from turning from evil, stop doing this, don't do that, separate yourself from that, to start doing this and start doing that and keep on doing this and learn how to do that. That's the full picture. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? So it's a turning from evil and a walking in righteousness that God is calling these people to. 
Cleanse yourself. Purge yourself. Make yourself clean. Start doing right. Start doing justice. Start treating people right. This is the full call. If you read in, in like in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul was talking, talking about let him that still, still no more. But then he follows it up with, well, rather let him work with his hand that he may, may have to give to them. Told you, he said, don't let no corrupt communication come out your mouth, but rather that which is good to the edifying of the hearer. He just said, stop cussing. Stop talking bad about people. He said, stop that and start doing this. This is the full picture that we got. So we turn from evil and we move towards righteousness. But the idea I want you to get in your head that true repentance is not a stop. It's a turn. The motion is continuous. You're going forward. You turn and you go the other way, but you don't stop moving. And with the same vigor and passion that you were moving towards wickedness, you need to be putting that towards righteousness. You don't just get stuck in the middle and hope that one day God going to fall out the sky and tell you what to do with your life. He already told you what to do. What he told you to do? Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow him. Be imitators of him. Walk in holiness. Perfecting it and in the sight of God. This is what he told us to do. So we don't have to wait for some picture of destiny and for some man or woman of God to tell us what our dreams and our hopes going to be that the way we're going to fulfill the manifestation and the fruition of all the destiny that God got for us. No, you fulfill that right now. By turning from yourself and serving yourself and start serving God. Wherever it is that you at, you serve God right now. In that capacity. You do righteousness right there. In that capacity. You don't have to wait for some ministry or something. You do it right there. Because God called you right there. And he called you to turn right there. And he called you to serve him Right there. So you turn from serving yourself to serving the living true God wherever you are. Wherever you at in your life. You do that right then and there. But understand that this is the call towards repentance. It ain't just saying I'm sorry. It ain't just feeling bad. It ain't just stop doing evil. It's turning and start doing good. Are y'all with me? We get some understanding. Go to uh, Acts chapter. No, go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, talking about God, say he, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, and resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be torn, turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. This is deep. This is repentance. God gives more grace. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this picture of repentance... At the heart of it is a turning in a true humility. Because pride is the one thing that keeps us from repenting. Because one of the hardest things it is for us to say is that we wrong and we evil. People don't like to be called evil. And we live in a culture that has completely vanished the idea of responsibility, guilt, or evil things. Those cuss words. 
Now you 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 start telling people they need to be feel bad or feel shamed about something. No, that's a cuss word. People do whatever they want to. Then you can't shame nobody. Like I'm saying, a grown man mess around with a little bit of girls. You can't shame him for that because that's what we got. Say so we live in a world where it's okay for big old linebackers to put on dresses and to go sit up in the library and call themselves reading the children. But you can't shame him for that. There was a day and age that said, man, he should be ashamed of himself. But shame and guilt is an evil thing. And the secular psychology has been taken over our culture and they then gave us our, 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 our thermometer for good and evil, for right and wrong. And it, it has come all the way down to the lower levels. And they're teaching our children this idea of acceptance to the exclusion or exclusion of judgment and holding people to a standard. So to be tolerable, to tolerate, to be loving, to be accepting is to not hold people to a standard. You got to just let people be. You know what I'm saying? I told y'all, beautiful mean be you to the full. <laughs> That's what they're going to tell you. And so this idea that when it turns to the gospel that people gotta confess that I'm wicked and I'm wretched and I'm sinner desperate in need of help we have a hard time with that because people ain't used to saying that they're wrong I just made a mistake I'm saying I made a couple bad decisions in my life and I understand what I'm saying we change words to, to take away the sting People don't have, uh, they don't commit adultery. Saying they have extramarital affairs. <laughs> these, these are the type of things that we got to take the sting away from it. But the gospel is telling us you be afflicted. You mourn. You turn your laughter into mourning. What do you mean by that? It's the things that brought you pleasure. The things that brought you joy. Let it be sickness to you now. You can't delight in them. And it's times like you like sometimes you can hear it in people's testimony when they talk about what they used to be. Saying they 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 talk to you for a long time. And they give 45 minute testimony, and 40 will be all the bad things they used to do. Like, man, yeah, man, you know, I used to be out there, bro. Saying I used to carry pistols, I'm saying. I remember time, man, boy, we went down to the place. And they like you can see the delight on their face, like, yeah, man, it's still bro still get down with that. I'm saying, but one day, man, man came to me, man, I was in prison, bro, came to my room, put a Bible on my bed. I'm saying, I know I got to stop all that junk. Then that'd be their testimony about the goodness of God. They talk to you all the time about their past lives and they delight in all that other stuff. What, what James is saying is that you turn your laughter into mourning. So the things that once delighted you, it need to be sickness to you. If you still delight in it, if you still find joy in it, if you still find pleasure in it, if it still light up your soul, check your heart, bro. Because that's, your mind ain't changed. You still think the same way about those things. Turn your laughter into mourning. And it's just, this is altering of our state, but it comes with a level of humility where we got to understand we need God. And that God don't owe us anything. And that God is not obligated to forgive us. Because people think that. 
that God has to forgive us. He like God, I'm saying you supposed to forgive everybody. And we put that on God too. Like he, he ain't got no choice. We gotta forgive everybody. Just think about it logically. I'm gonna show you something. Take us on home. But we have to forgive everybody because anything that can be done to me in some way, form, or fashion, I've done some similar to somebody else. So if I hold people and don't forgive them, I'm being hypocritical. Because no matter what it is, they might have done it to a greater degree than what was done to me. So with some form or fashion of it, I've done to somebody else. I'm obligated. That's the parable that Jesus was telling about the, the, the servant who wasn't just, who came to the king and, and pleaded and all that and got his debt forgiven, but then he went and held his brother and threw him in prison over a little small debt. That's the picture he given. But now think about God. God ain't done none of us wrong. He ain't never done wrong to anybody. So he's no under no obligation. He's not required to forgive. Because anything he pour out, he's just in doing so. Because all he ever done is did us nice, did us good, showed us love, showed us patience and compassion. All we ever returned to him was evil for it. So he turned, if we turn to him, he say, God, I'm sorry. He said, I don't care about that. <laughs> be sorry to somebody else. <laughs> he could be just in doing so. Now, will he do that? No. Nah. We told you, Michael, he said he delight in showing mercy. That's because that's a part of who we are. But we got to get the robotics out of our mind. But let me show you to take us home and drive this point home. And these scriptures, he'll make people mad. Go to go to see where I want to go. Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 6. Isaiah 55, 6. We'll just run through a couple of them. It's a simple one, but I'm going to change the context for you. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, check this, check the scene now. And we're going to use this as a springboard. So he's telling you, he's commanding you to seek the Lord. When? While he may be found. So there's a period of time where God is ready. He's showing up. Call upon him while he is near to you. Are y'all seeing that? And he gives you. He's going he gonna to forgive. He's going to He's going to pardon. That's what he's going to do. But if we take this to its logical conclusion, it tells us that there's a point in time where you're going to seek the Lord and he can't be found. But that don't seem right. Go to Proverbs chapter 27. Yeah, Proverbs chapter 27. We're going to put all these together. It said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not where the day may bring forth let another man praise thee and not thy own mouth, a stranger and not thy own lips. It's Proverbs that boast not yourself of tomorrow because don't, you don't know what's going to be on the next day. So there's an opportunity is present today. If we listen to this proverb, he's saying you take heed to it now because you don't know what's going to be on tomorrow. So you don't put hope, you don't put, you don't big up tomorrow. Today is what you got. James repeat the same thought in his book. Uh, but the picture of today is the day of salvation. 
You don't know what's going to happen on the morrow. And we're going to connect this with Hebrews chapter 4. Actually, it says it a couple times in Hebrews, but just look at it right here. Well, actually, go to chapter 3. I like where it said in chapter 3 better. Chapter 3, verse 7. So, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, they do always ear in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now the picture that he painted, he told us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't boast yourself for tomorrow. Because today is the day of salvation. And here the Hebrew writer is telling us, Quoting the Psalms, he said, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as they did in the day of provocation. What that means is that when he, when he opens it up with, if you hear his voice, that shows me that it's a possibility that the voice will not be what? Heard. I said, today, if you hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. And this is one of the verses that really stuck with me early on when I was in this thing. And I began to watch. Because I'm a watcher and I pay attention to things. And I started to notice in church. It's even reflecting back on my own life. That there will be times where you have two people sitting right next to each other. In the same service. In the same sermon. And one of them can be broken almost to tears. The other be like, man. I wonder what my mama cook. <laughs> They're hearing the same thing. They're hearing the same message. But it's not ringing it in the same. And the picture is today, if you hear his voice, that there's a possibility that you might not hear it. So if you get it, don't harden your heart. The call is you take it full advantage of it then if ever you hear the pull of God on you. And understand that it's the mercy of God that lead us and draw us to repentance. That we can't come unto him unless he first draw us because our heart is distant from him. We are enemies of God by our nature. We don't love and enjoy the truth. We hate and despise it. We don't come to the light because our, our deeds are dark. This is who we are as natural human beings. So if ever there's anything in your heart and your mind and your soul telling you I need to get right, Take heed to it. Because it's not you. It's the voice of God calling and compelling you. And you need to take heed to it because you don't boast yourself for tomorrow. Because what might happen tomorrow? Even bigger than you might die tomorrow, you might not hear it. Your mind can go back to normal. And you can be content with your same old wickedness and not feel that tug and not feel that pull, not feel that call of God to turn like I said, look at the picture. Read your Gospels. You got Peter and you got Judas. Both of them denied Christ. Peter got the cousins. They ain't had nothing to do with them. Judas sold them out for some money. Both of them did the same thing on the very same night. But one got a call that said, when y'all come, bring Peter with you. 
He got a call. He heard the voice of God calling him back. One didn't get that call. One got pushed to the brink and committed suicide. Same act. Against the same person. But the voice was heard by one and not by the other. The Bible talked about how Esau sought repentance with tears. Couldn't turn. And what it was getting at is that the the time of blessing had passed him by. The father gave the blessing. There wasn't no more blessing to give. But he was wanting the blessing. He was seeking the blessing. But his dad ain't had nothing left for him. Because the time came and it went. And there is a time where God is calling us and he's showing us mercy. He's pleading with us. He, he, he's being here with us. And we need to take heed to that. Look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar got call after call after call from God. God showing him dreams. God giving him visions. Daniel showing up and telling him there's one God in Nebuchadnezzar. Praise God. Yes, your God is the only God. And next thing you know, he's building a statue for them to worship. Over and over again, he's getting these calls. And it got to the point where God got tired of him. It made him a madman and sent him out in the wilderness to eat grass and to just lay out there. That was the call and mercy of God. But even deeper than that, his son followed after him. Could be a grandson. We don't 100% know. He got a call and a vision from God. The famous story of the handwriting on the wall. He was doing the same stuff his daddy would do. Think he great and think the whole world revolved around him. While his daddy got dreams and visions and opportunities to repent, he got one great vision. And that vision said, you have been tried, you have been waiting, you have been found wanting. Your kingdom is going to be taken away from you this very night. He got that one vision that we know of. And the scriptures show us, and I believe he revealed it to us this way on purpose, to show you that it is the mercy of God that gives us an opportunity to turn. It is the mercy of God that gives us an opportunity to, to, to humble ourselves. But it is also the greatness of God that when he stands and put his foot down, it is over with, it's over with. And there, I mean, in uh, Belteshazzar showed no sign of grief. He got a vision. And I believe that was possible if he would have saw that thing and Daniel told him what it means, he would have repented and fell down. I believe God would have showed him mercy. Saw a great vision. What he did, went on back by their party like, Daniel, you're a good man, man. We're going to celebrate you with the kingdom. And the man just told you you ain't got no kingdom no more. Because he didn't hear. He recognized the words, but there was no call in his heart to humble himself like his daddy did. And what we need to do is when you hear the mercy of God, when you hear God pleading you, giving you that opportunity to repent, to stop, to change your ways, to separate those relationships, to do whatever it is, get the computer out your phone, get rid of that smartphone and get you a flip phone. You leave it all alone. Get off Facebook. Get off Instagram. Whatever those things are that God is telling you to do to keep yourself right and righteous, do it. Humble yourself before God and plead to him for the mercy to do so. Are y'all with me? And to see if you remember anything he ever taught you. Because God calls us to repent and he tells us to do it. But where do we get the strength from to do it? From him. God is the one that do it. So what it looks like for us is not trying but trusting. Because true repentance is the foundation of belief. It's faith. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? Y'all want. The question that I have is uh, the first thing that 
like you're saying, you know, first we have to repent. Now, when we, in my mind, you know, you repent and then, you know, you move on and, and just do, you know, what God's work. Now you are going deep in there, repent. Are we supposed to repent every day? Because sometimes, you know, when you ask, uh, sometimes, you know, we ask God, you know, to do certain things in our life for whatever the reason it might be. So when we don't see those come to pass, does that mean that, you know, we have not repent? Or is it, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, myself too, you know, when things is not going or whatever the reason it might be, I'm thinking like, you know, how can I go back? And I thought when you repent, you repent for everything that you have done in the past. And then sometimes I say like, what have I forgotten to bring it? You know, because you have to speak those, right? You have to repent. And um, how can we know for sure that we didn't, you know, repent all the way through? And oh. then the second question that I have is, what's the difference between... Um, I think I said those for me first. I think I okay. And that's a very good question. And the basis of the question is, it's like in our repentance, do we have to make this specified list of all our past history and repent of those things and every single thing and we might forget something? And the answer is no. You repent in general and you repent in totality because the true repentance is an altering of the heart. So it's time from serving yourself to serving the living God. So everything that you did was in service to you, in service to your own lust, in service to your own desires, and out of rebellion to God. So if you re re repent from self-service to God's service, you repent from rebellion to humility, you have repented of all those things. And that's the whole, whole goal. So the goal, once you make that turn, is just to make sure your heart is completely submitted to him. That you totally trust in him and everything he say. So now you don't have to make a whole list. And that goes to the conversation we've been having a long time ago about the, the, the deliverance ministry. That's one of the failures that they have. You got to remember everything that you did, your great grandma did, your uncle and, and everybody else. No, you turn from you to God. So in that, that's, that's all you have to do. And so the only question is now, now am I yielded? Am I trusting you, God? And you don't have to repent every day unless you sin every day. And if you're sinning every day, you got a problem. But the repentance is from whatever those dead works are to God. And now all you have to do is surrender every day, to yield every day. And we, we can't condition our understanding of my position with God on my conditions in life. But sometimes you can be praying to God for certain things and, and for things to happen in your life where they don't quite show up the way that you want them to show up. Like I said, Abraham wanted a child for, for a very, very long time. And God was telling him, yeah, you got a child, I got you. God was like that parent that tell you you're going to take you to Chuck E. Cheese. Like one day. <laughs> so, but Abraham was still trusting God. So long as Abraham was trusting God, he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Even though he didn't get the thing that he prayed for and that God told him he was going to get. At the time that he got it. You understand what I'm saying? So you can't condition your position based off what's going on in my life. If my radiator mess up and my hot water heater go out and, and the flashes on my roof started leaking, all that stuff got to happen at one same time. I don't have to say, Lord, 
I'm just the devil, just send me to hell because all these bad things happen. I can evaluate my heart and say, God, what's what going on with me? But as long as I know I'm trusting him, as long as I know I'm yielded to him, I'm not walking in any sin or foolishness. I'm good. Speaking to you. How can you tell when God speaks to you and, and when your heart just, you know, normal, sometimes you, know, you talk, you know, sometimes you have thoughts across in your mind. When do you exactly know that when God telling you something, how can you separate those? Uh, a basic couple different ways. And one is as you grow in God, he's going to make it known because God speaks to various people in various ways. And as you grow in him, he's going to change. Like I said, some people are seers. They see things. Some people just have a knowing. That's what God speaks to them. Some people actually hear audibly. But the separation becomes as you know your word, you know your Bible, and you get familiar with him, that that's to how you truly know. Because you know what he, what he talked like. You know what phrases he used. You know what things he say. It's like if I call my wife, I know when it's her and when it's not her. And if somebody can get real close to sound her, I just let them talk for a little bit. Because I know the phrases that she used. I know the expressions that she liked to use. And I know the way that she speaks to me. You know what I'm saying? And that comes from growth and that comes from understanding. So the primary thing that we do is we get in his word and we understand his heart, his mind, and his desires. So once you know his heart and once you know his desires, that makes it clearer for you to understand those things. So the, the baby stages is to get in his word, to learn his heart, to learn his desires. And as you grow, he going to reveal himself to you and show you how it is that he personally speaks to you. Like I said, you may be a dreamer. You may be a seer. You may be one of them, I them people who, who hear audibly. You may be, you just, just sometimes you're sitting there and you're thinking and you're meditating and God just tells you something. You automatically know something all of a sudden. You know how to do something you never even thought about before. And those are the various ways that God speaks to people. But it begins with you knowing his heart. You, you understand what I'm saying? And that's what you, you, you bring everything back to the word of God. And that's how you try the spirits. That, that helps a little bit. Okay. I had one over here. Okay, so I got three questions. Three. What uh, is the difference between <laughs> deliverance and repentance? Ah, the difference between deliverance and repentance. Now, if you truly understand deliverance, the, the, the biblical definition of deliverance, they are two sides of the same coin. So once you repent, you are delivered and God sets you free. But repentance is altering your mind and turning away from your evil deeds. That's repentance. Well, I changed the way I think about stuff, and in consequence, it changed my actions. Now, the church folks' deliverance is where you go through this long list of stuff, and you have to confess all these various things and hope that the man is strong enough to get all them demons off you. But biblical deliverance is once you believe in God and you put your faith in him, he sets you free. And that begins with you turning from yourself and turning to God. And that's repentance. It makes sense to you. So once you repent, you get delivered. So how do you know the difference between like God allowing an affliction to draw you versus like just life? Life uh, is happening. Like as I, I think as you look through the scriptures, and you 
and you see it, like you take the the stance of Job. And I like the book of Job because Job, once his people was explaining to him what was going on and why everything was happening, he examined himself and he heard what they said. But every time Job responded, if you read it carefully, he hardly ever responds to them. His response was a prayer. So they tell Job, God, we know God don't do this, and we know God do that, and we know God do that. Then Job responds, it's like, God, how can? And he begins to dialogue with, with, between himself and God. And I think that's the position that we have to take, that we examine ourselves, and all of it, and all of life positions us to where it pushes us towards God, if you understand what I'm saying. And then God will give us that divine commentary to let us know what was going on. And a lot of times it's just wisdom of what you need to do. And some of that stuff, the wisdom come beforehand, but we just don't pay attention to it. And sometimes you be saying something like, hey, Justin, you need to go up there and do such, 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 such. And be like, all right, I got it. We cool. And then two months later, something happened and it fall in. And it be like, I thought you did that right there, right there. <laughs> See, but what that initial thought was, is that God giving you a little wisdom about just the natural comings of life. And so, but all, let all of it pushes us to God and let him give us that divine commentary to where he fills in the gaps because it really don't matter when it's all said and done. Because once it happens, the only thing is our response to it and what we need to do with it. If you're understanding what I'm saying. So if you turn and you're seeking God and he tell you that that happened because your sister tried to call and you was upset and you didn't want to listen to her. <laughs> I'm saying he can give you that. You go call your sister. You need to repent. And sometimes it might just be call your sister, and you talk to her. Go ahead. Like people will be like, or you feel like you're trapped in a cycle mm-hmm. of the same type of stuff happening. And so, like, how do you process that? Like, you know, like it could be like. Folks always stealing my stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like something always happening with my car or something, you know. Yeah, and I, I think it's the, it comes the same thing. You turn to God and you begin, if it's something that they're deep and that frustrated to you, you start to pray to him about it. And, he, and you start to get wisdom about it. I just know you take it a personal example. And I remember at my old church, pastor was talking. He talking about seasons. And he's talking about some of you will notice there's seasons in your life where money just get hard. And when you have a time of prosperity and everything going good, then you turn to this season. And then he explained it away with all these deep stuff going on. And I really feel it now. I'm like, okay, I've seen that. Because I've seen the old past couple of years, man, at this certain time, it do seem like things just tighten up all of a sudden. But then I started thinking. I really got to praying to God about it. He's like, you know, that's true. But you know what happened in that season? Children start going to school. They're going on field trips, and you got this fee, and you got that fee, and it happened the same time every year. And you need to start preparing for that. Because you just ride it month by month, then you know I'm good in August. I'm good in October. By November, man, that thing be hurting a little bit. <laughs> and you be like, man, I can't. And that's all it was. But I would listen to that sermon. I thought it was some spiritual force that I need to rebuke. I'm saying the, the spirit of autumn. And get rebuke. Get off my finances. <laughs> I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You, you standard time spirit. <laughs> Lord, bless daylight saving time. I got more money. 
But that's all it. And so sometimes that's all it is. It's just patterns of life that we pick up. And those patterns put us in cycles and they put us in ruts. And that continues. And sometimes it do. It may be some heaviness, but you, it, the, the answer is the same. You turn to God and you get the wisdom from him. What's going on and how I need to deal with it? It, it, it doesn't make sense to you. 